At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We all have questions, and we're all looking for the answers. But sometimes, navigating the answers to cultural issues through the lens of the gospel can be challenging. Join us for our Asking for a Friend series, where each week we'll answer tough questions and provide you with gospel-centered answers that you can share with a friend. It's good to be with you again. I've enjoyed um, being last week at Farmington Hills with our Farmington Hills campus and checking in on them. I know that you were served really well uh, by Pastor Jacob Lay. I, I was encouraged by several of the things I heard from his message uh, for us all this morning. We're doing this series this summer called Asking for a Friend. And so what we did is we put on social media back in the spring, late winter, um, we put out a call and said, what questions are you asking? What are the big things that you would like us to talk about here on a Sunday morning at Woodside Bible Church? And we got a good list of many questions that uh, many have asked or are trying to answer in, in some way or another. And we just took them and every campus pastor got assigned uh, and chose a different one. And so, uh, so last week we heard from Jacob on what does God say uh, about singleness? And I would encourage you, if you, uh, if you want to check out that message, go look for the Woodside Bible Church Plymouth podcast. The audio is up there for that. I got a different question, and so here it is, all right? The question is this. Is anxiety, or being anxious, is that sin? Is it sinful to be anxious, to have anxiety in our lives? I, I think that's a pretty big question. And I'll confess to you this morning I'm even anxious about trying to answer that question. It makes me feel a little uneasy myself. Here's why, okay? On one hand, we might say no. No, no, no. Being anxious or anxiety itself, it's not a sin. It's, it's kind of human nature. It's kind of what we all do. We all get anxious. We all have concerns. And so to call it out as a sin, that just seems really heavy and hard. And like that, no, no, that's not it. But if we go to Scripture... I think we have some trouble saying it just that plainly, like no, anxiety or being anxious is a sin because of what Jesus himself says. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Okay, so Jesus very clearly commands he lays it out there very clearly saying, do not be anxious. Don't be anxious about your life. It seems that Jesus is teaching that it is wrong, that it is a sin to be anxious. Well, now we all feel really horrible because like, we're all anxious people. What do we do with that? Okay, there's another side to the scripture though, another, another passage or another reality that scripture brings up that... I don't know, it just makes it a little bit more troubling. So Jesus himself, as we look at his life, as we read the gospel narratives, we find it seems that Jesus expressed what I would call anxiety in his own life, particularly in the hours before he went to the cross. Luke describes him in Luke twenty-two forty-four 44 as being in agony, like his soul was troubled, his heart was burdened. Jesus himself says in John 12, at the same time frame, right before, the night before going to the cross, he says to his disciples, he confesses to them, my soul is troubled. The, the, 
The translation of that Greek word has a lot underneath it. Uh, One Greek dictionary defines it this way, that Jesus, when he uses that word, he uses it with the special meaning of inner agitation, emotion, and distress. Well, I mean, just by that uh, definition, that sounds a lot like anxiety to me. Inner agitation, emotion, distress. Jesus seems to express anxiety himself. Even further in the New Testament, we have the Apostle Paul, him speaking of the daily pressure he experienced. He's writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, and he says, I feel the daily pressure uh, in my life, and, and I quote here, anxiety, that's his word, anxiety for all the churches. So Jesus felt real things. He had a troubled heart. Paul felt this anxiety. He had an anxious heart, an anxious concern for the churches. And so it, it really, if we say anxiety is a sin, Jesus, even being the perfect sinless son of God, has an anxious heart in some way or another, a troubled heart. We can't just right off say anxiety is sin. Do you see the quandary that I'm in here? Do you see the, the minefield that I'm trying to navigate? Let me, let me just summarize. Jesus commands us not to be anxious, but yet Jesus expressed a form of anxiety and a troubled heart in his own life. And that's why I'm anxious about answering this question. It's a minefield. So how do I answer this question? What what do I say to it? Well, and some of you are not going to be satisfied by this, and I apologize, but not really. The answer may be, maybe. It depends. What's the situation? What's the circumstance? Your anxiety might be sinful. Or it might not. And it, and it seems that answer to that lies, whether your anxiety is sinful or not, lies in two things. First of all, you have to ask yourself the question, what are you anxious about? Do you have the right priorities and focus? Are you anxious about the things or concerned about the things, troubled about the things that are truly worth being troubled about? Or are you focusing on the wrong things and missing what is right priorities? Not only that... I think that maybe the deeper answer to the question has to do with whether anxiety is sinful or not, has to do with what do you do with your anxiety? When you have a troubled heart and a troubled mind, where do you go with your anxious thoughts and your anxious heart? Are you taking those to God? There's there's not a clear-cut, one-for-one answer of anxiety is yes to sin or not. It depends on what you're anxious about and what you're doing with your anxiety. So as I answer the question in that way, I really want us to drive into answering and dealing with what do you do with your anxiety this morning? How do we deal with with our anxious hearts and our minds when when circumstances are troubling, when there is great difficulty in our lives, when, when there is things that we are rightly or unrightly concerned about, what do we do with the anxiety that we feel in our lives and in our hearts? Simply put, I'm going to tell us that we need to have a reordering of our lives and a reordering of our anxieties. Our anxious hearts need to be put in their proper place. And to do that, we need to rightly reflect on God. That's the answer to the question I'm going to give us this morning, is that rightly reflecting on God will reorder our anxieties. As we look at God and who He is, as we set our hearts and our minds on His character, His promises, His faithfulness, And as we begin to to trust and remember him and who he is and what he has done, I believe we will have a way to address our anxious hearts and to deal with the troubling of our souls that exist. 
So I'm really going to lean into answering the question this morning, what should you do with your anxiety? And to do that, I want us to go to the Psalms, Psalm 77 specifically. Uh, The Psalms are filled with emotions and cares. Now, one of the ways that people have attempted to answer this question about anxiety is just to say, well, you shouldn't, don't feel anything, right? right? Just suppress your emotions, dial them back, be like some sort of robotic or stoic figure that's just like, everything's wonderful, and no, no emotional expression at all. That's where anxiety lives, is in the emotions. And so we should just not have great emotions, but, but be, you know, if you watch Star Trek, be a Vulcan, right? Everything is logic, everything is laid out according to a plan, it's all orderly, and you just don't feel anything. The problem with that is we are human beings made with emotions and feelings. And those emotions and feelings and the emotional language of our life is right and good. God gave that to us. Jesus himself was not some stoic just walking around with no emotions. He can say, my soul is deeply troubled because he felt things. And so we need to figure out how do we deal with our emotional lives. The Psalms help us... And they give us language to take our emotions, to take our cares to God and to pray. They, they help us in our own troubled times and our troubled hearts go to God with the cares and anxieties and concerns of human life. Now, Psalm 77 is the song of an anxious and troubled heart. We don't know much about the psalmist here who's writing it. We don't know much about his situation. So I think that really helps us because it can apply to anybody. All of us can re- lean in and listen to this psalm and say, yeah, that's me. That's how I feel. This is here for me. It is, as one has put it, an earnest prayer coming from a troubled heart. And it shows us, this psalm shows us rightly how to rightly reflect on God in order to reorder our anxieties. I believe this psalm gives us the answer to the question, how should I address my anxious heart? Now let me say before I walk through this psalm for us, one more thing about anxiety. There are times when anxiety and depression Panic attacks and things like that should be clinically addressed. And there is, and hear me clearly, there is no sin, there is no shame in using resources such as physicians and therapists to help us rightly address the physiological responses our bodies have towards these things. It is not wrong to see a doctor. In fact, if you are feeling anxiety, I would encourage you to go and see a physician. God has given us common grace in these resources, in these people, in these professions to help us, and we should utilize them. But I want us through the scripture here to address our hearts. How do we deal with our own hearts and our souls this morning so that we grow in God? This psalm has three steps to it. The psalmist writes to help us take three steps in addressing our anxious hearts before the Lord. So here's the first step this morning. The first step is that we need to acknowledge our anxiety to the Lord. We need to come out with it to him. This is what the psalmist says in verses 1 through 4. He says, I cry aloud to God. Now, who is he talking to? To God, right? That's where he's taking his anxiety to right away. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. Again, his trajectory is up. It's vertical. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. Uh, The psalmist here is so candid. He's so honest. He knows right where to go with his anxiety. 
And he's not shy about it either. He, he instructs us by example to go directly to the Lord and lay it all out there in front of him. He doesn't hold back. Uh, and notice the expression here. He's like, I vocalize this. I cry aloud. He, he gives us a way to approach God with our anxieties. It's not a soft or timid or restrained or stoic expression of anguish. God, I hurt. He feels it. He vocalizes it. I cry aloud with loud voice, yelled shouts. He's hurting and inconsolable. Notice what he says about this. I cry to God. And he says, my hand is stretched out without wearying. For the Israelites, one of the postures of prayer Similar to our kneeling, which is humble and right and good when we pray, another posture of prayer would be to lift up their hands to heaven. It's like a way of saying, God, here I am, help. Grab me by the hand and pull me out of the pit. So he says, I, my hand is up in the air, even in the night, and it is, I can't, I'm not lowering it, Lord, until you see and hear my trouble, I seek you. I'm crying out for you. He is just persistent in his pursuit of the Lord. He says, my soul refuses to be comforted. Until I hear from God, there is no peace, there is no balm, there is no, there is no steadiness. He says, when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Just, I, I'm tapped out, I'm expending all I can towards God, moaning, crying, I'm weak, I'm troubled. He, he can't sleep, verse 4, he's like, you hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled, I cannot speak. He just comes to the end of himself. Do, do you empathize? Do you, do you say, I know that feeling. I know that experience. Maybe, maybe you do. Maybe you have felt like this before. Maybe today, some of you feel that, right, feel that way right now. And that's okay. Acknowledge that to the Lord. Take that expression of your life to him. There are things that trouble our souls deeply, so deeply, in fact, that we feel this kind of experience, and that is valid. Friend, hear me. That is valid. Notice there's no rebuke from God in that kind of expression. As the psalmist cries out, even as he says, God, you're, you've got my eyelids open all the time. I can't sleep because of this thing going on. You don't read verse 5 and God saying, you dummy, get your act together. There's no correction. God isn't saying, get your stuff together, quit crying and deal with it, be less emotional. He's like, no, God is great enough and kind enough to receive our expressive emotional need. You feel things deeply, you can share those things deeply with God. He's not repulsed in any way. He takes his cry and his agony and his anxiety right to the Lord. He's openly honest with God about it. And he says to God, this is exactly how I feel right now, and I'm spent, and in no way is God repulsed by that kind of expression. Uh, a year ago, when we were on our sabbatical, we were uh, spending some time in Hawaii together on vacation. And on the first day that we were there, Ethan and I got into some trouble on the ocean while paddleboarding. Uh, as we were in this bay paddleboarding, the wind kind of began to push us out towards the open sea, and it pushed us and pushed us further than we intended. We, we were struggling to, to row back towards the shore. We were inexperienced and, frankly, incapable of navigating the waves well. 
And as we drifted out towards the open sea, a wave came and threw us off the paddleboard into the ocean. And I had to grab Ethan and toss him back up on the board. And, and Ethan began to be so deeply concerned that this was going to be the end for us. On the paddleboard there, as I'm tossing him up, he cries out and he says, I'm going to die in Hawaii! Which I was like, it's better than Kansas. <laughs> While I needed Ethan to avoid completely going into hysterics on the paddleboard, I want to tell you, I didn't find his anguish and anxiety at all repulsive. In fact, it was because he was concerned and so desperately in need that it helped energize and incline me more and more to love and to care for him. His anxiety and expressing and acknowledging it provided me an opportunity to care for his heart and to address his need and to love him. Uh, by the way, we made it. Uh, we lived to tell the story. And here's what I want you to see in that. The presupposition about God that I'm coming to us with this morning is that God is good and that he is the best, most caring, gracious Heavenly Father and he is the best one to take our anxiety to. God is not sitting up in heaven saying, my children better keep a stiff upper lip. I don't want to see any emotion, no anxiety. I don't want them to express anything about the concerns of their lives. No, no. He instead gives us permission to come to him with our anxieties. This is holy scripture. God's word to, uh, for us to say back to him. Because he is the only one competent enough to handle our disarrayed and anxious hearts. In fact, when we hit a command like this, or when we hit a command like the one Jesus gave not to be anxious, it's really there because he is inviting us to do something with our anxiety, namely to take it to him. As beloved children, because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, we are commanded to be, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. Acknowledge your anxious heart to the Lord. The invitation is to go to him with our anxiety and our pain and our worry because of his care and his love for you and me. So step one in, in answering our anxious hearts before the Lord is to take our anxiety, to acknowledge our anxiety before him. It is to say, God, I'm crying aloud to you. I'm anxious. I'm troubled. I need your help. Be near. That's step one. Step two, though, takes us a little deeper, and that is to ask questions about God's nature. As we take our anxiety to him, we have to ask, what kind of God are you? Who are you like? What do you do? What's your character? Keep reading with me in verses 5 through 9 what the psalmist says. He says, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Now what the psalmist does here is take a deep dive for the sake of his heart. He looks back and he says, I need to remember who God is and what God has done. There's three verbs in verses 5 and 6 that shape how he is engaging and, and speaking to his heart, doing a little self-talk here, if you will. He says, first of all, I considered. That is, I began to think about and weigh out and ponder. Secondly, he says, I remembered. 
He drew back on truth and things that had happened in the past. He looked back, even to the good times. He said, let me remember my song in the night. The good things, the things that he expressed. And then he says, I meditated. Let me meditate in my heart. These are verbs inviting us into a shape of prayer that deals with the interior world of our souls. They call us back into a reflective pondering of God and his words. So much so that he says in verse 6, my spirit made a diligent search. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking internally here. I'm looking to find out who is God. What is he like? I consider the days of old, the past, the years long ago. Who is he? What is he like? To make that diligent search, though, he begins to ask questions. And this is, I think, the, the point for us, to ask questions of God's character. As he's meditating, as he's remembering, as he's considering, he says, let me think about, okay, let me just ask myself, who is God? Who do I know him to be? Verses 7 through 9 catalog the questions that he asks. Now, I don't perceive these questions to be from a cynical place or a posture of skepticism, as if he's putting God on the witness stand and cross-examining him in order to find fault. I think the psalmist is saying here, I have to go back and remember when things were good and remember truth from steadier times so that I can find my footing in this anxious moment. And so he asks these questions, and they really boil down to considering God's goodness and his covenant love. So he asks three big questions. I'll paraphrase them this way. The first question he asks is, in verse 7, is God going to hold me at arm's length forever? Is that God's character towards his children? He just kind of stiff arms them. It's like, oh, you guys are anxious. I'm going to step back. No, don't get close. Lean away. I don't want to be near you. You're so full of emotion right now and troubled hearts. Like, is that God? Is that how he operates towards his children? Second question that he asks his heart. Again, he's just trying to remember and bring up who is God, his character. Has God abandoned, this is verse 8, has God abandoned his promised love and goodness towards his children, towards me? Is, is his steadfast love forever ceased? His promise is over? Again, is that God? Does God forget his promises? He's like, oh, I said I'd love you forever, but not so sure of that now. In fact, I think I'm going to pause on that for a while. Does God do that? Third question, verse 9. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Or in other words, is God tired and done with being gracious and compassionate? He's like, you people exhaust me. You're so anxious. Everything makes you worried. I'm done. Like, I'm going to go find people a little more stable. Again, like, here's, he's just asking the questions of God's nature. Is this how God interacts and operates towards his people? The answer is, flat out in every one of them, No. That is not God. God doesn't hold us at arm's length. He hasn't abandoned his promised love, his steadfast faithfulness. He is not tired and done with being gracious and compassionate. And the psalmist needs to remember that about God. He needs to remind himself about this. In some ways, I think what the psalmist is doing is something we need to do, and that is the psalmist is rickrolling us, really. We need to rickroll our hearts with truth. Do you know what that is, right? Okay, so you get an email or a text message with some sort of like great promise, like, hi, earn a million dollars just by sleeping. And you're like, ooh, I'm really curious about that. Like, how does that happen? So you click the link, and the next thing you know, you're on YouTube, and there's Rick Ansley dancing around singing, never going to give you up, never going to let you down, never going to turn around and desert you. I did that well, didn't I? Right? 
And you hear it there and you're like, ah, ha, ha, like that's fun to remember and that's kind of goofy. Like that's what I want us to do here, to rickroll our hearts with God's character because that's true of God. He's not going to give us up and abandon us. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to let his people down. He's not going to desert us. We need to come back and ask our hearts the questions about God's character, especially when we're anxious. Much of our anxiety is the result of not slowing down to perceive reality with God in it. We, we just keep bursting through life. Our anxiety comes when we perceive reality apart from God, forgetting God without him. And so what we need is the practice of spiritual meditation. We need to do what the psalmist says here. I considered, I remembered, I meditated. It's to slow down and to remember. I think this is a necessary practice for Christians to slow down and remember who is God what is he like Tim Keller wrote that to meditate is to ask oneself questions about the truth such as what difference does this make am I taking this seriously if I forget this how will that affect me have I forgotten it am I living in light of this we need to ask ourselves questions about God's character in order to remember, especially when we are anxious, so that our hearts and our minds are stabilized by his love and grace. We need to go to the resources of the scriptures to inform us of his character, his nature, and his unending love. I know that's hard, but it looks like us spending time, and I would recommend this on a daily practice of spending some time just in slowness and reflection and silence and solitude in the word, I'd recommend this on a weekly practice. I'd recommend this on a monthly time frame. Reflect on Scripture. Get alone. Be with the Lord. See who God is. Get a journal out and write out your anxiety and feelings. Pray this kind of prayer to God and ask questions of your heart. Ask your heart, heart, do I believe this is true about God, that he gives up on his children? Or do I believe that he is stable and steady, he is faithful? Maybe you need to get a Christian friend or, or a spiritual director who can help guide you in asking these questions. I have a spiritual director. His name is Rusty. I meet with him once a month. Last Wednesday, I met with him. And I just, we just talk. We just say, Rusty, here's what I'm anxious about. Here's what I'm dealing with. And Rusty asks questions like, well, what do you think the Lord thinks of that? And I say, well, I don't know. And he says, okay, well, let's pray. Most of my time spent with Rusty is actually Rusty saying, let's go to God and pray. I just have a friend, a spiritual director, to take me to the Lord and to say, Let's think about these truths. Let's remember what is there from the Lord. Let, let's let God speak to us from his word. If we deep dive in our hearts on who God is and what he has done, I believe we will find the stability of his nature to address our anxious hearts. So step one is to acknowledge our anxious hearts before the Lord. Acknowledge your anxiety to him. Step two in addressing our anxious heart is to ask questions about God's nature. Who is he? What is he like? But we need a third step here. And that third step is to appeal to God's character. We've got to put our feet down on firm ground. Step three is to appeal to God's character. Look with me at verse 10. The psalmist makes this pivot and he says, Then I said, so after doing this reflective internal, who is God, what is he like? He said, Then I said this, I will appeal to this. So he's, he's saying, Okay, I'm going I'm to stand on some bedrock here. I'm going to put my chips in on this card right now. I'm going to say and anchor my life on this hope. I will appeal to this to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Now, I, 
I think it's very profound in what he says here, but it's a little interesting for us. Well, why didn't he say, I appeal to this, to God and who he is and what he's done. Well, he gets there, but, but this helps us think through it a little bit. He, he kind of gives us a little bit look past in order to see forward momentum in this. And this is what he does. He said, I will appeal to the years of the right hand of the Most High. So when he says years of the right, of the right hand of the Most High, he's saying, look back at God's years. Well, God's eternal. He's infinite. He doesn't have any years. He's created time and history, and we can look back on his work in history, in his activeness, in his track record, if you will, in the world and in our lives. He says, I'm going to look back at God's history, his track record, and to the right hand of the Most High. That's an expression that the Hebrews used to talk about God's power for his people. Whenever you see in the Old Testament someone referring to God, the, the right hand of the Most High, you hear them speaking about how God has acted positively for his children, how he has redeemed his children, how he has loved them, how he has worked against circumstances, against peoples, against enemies in their favor. So basically what he's saying is like, I'm looking back on God's history and the way he has worked for his people to rescue and deliver and to save them. And I'm appealing to that as my own appeal. That's the, the bedrock I'm standing on because I'm one of God's children. I can be confident. My heart can be settled in his grace. So again, he goes into meditation and reflection. Verse 11 and 12. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. What he's doing here is he's basically saying, I have to go back to the Bible because that's where God's work is recorded for us. I have to go back to the scriptures and remember I'm a child of God, I'm one of his people, and this is how God has acted for us as his people again and again and again in faithfulness, in steadfast love, in salvation, in mercy. He has done it again and again. He's reflecting on the wonderful works of God and remembering that God and God alone is our highest good. So what's this? He, he, throughout the rest of the psalm then, he goes back to one specific historic event in Israel's history. He's like, let, let me remember the big event, the Exodus event. He asks some questions. What God is great like our God, verse 13? You are the God who worked wonders. You have made known your mind among the peoples. With your arm... You redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. He's like, look back at what God did. He redeemed. He worked wonders. He is great and holy. He's a good God. He did that in rescuing Israel from Egypt, from their oppression, from their domination. He saved them and, and brought them out of Egypt. But then he takes them and he, he brings this psalm to a high point of anxiety. Remember the story, right? God has rescued the Israelites from Egypt. He brought down 10 plagues that just shattered the Egyptian nation, shattered the people. And the final plague, the plague of the firstborn, God had them paint blood over their doors to protect them. And then the angel of death came through and killed the firstborn. And that was the breaking point for Pharaoh. And he said, get out, get out and go. And so they do, they leave with all the treasure of Egypt. They're finally free. They're running out. God is leading them with a pillar of cloud and fire to land flowing with milk and honey. And they're like, we're on the way to the promised land. And God takes them right up to the ocean, right to the Red Sea. It's like, this is not, this is not a road. This is a barrier. He takes them right there. 
And then in Egypt, Pharaoh's like, wait, 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 what did we just lose? He's, he just deploys the army to go get them back and to bring them under greater oppression. And so Israel's right there, right in front of an ocean in front of them that they cannot pass with an army behind them set on destroying them and laying them out. Now, I don't know about you, but I would be rather anxious in that moment. My heart would be really troubled. We're trapped. We're done. God, did you do this to us? And the psalmist says, let's remember who God is. Let's appeal to his strong right arm. He reminds us of the Red Sea event. Here it is in vivid language. When the water saw you, O God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. And then your way was through the sea. God split the ocean, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. God divided the sea, gave them dry land, and led them through. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. God was there with Israel in their most anxious moment. He didn't abandon his people. He did not forsake his loving kindness. He showed his might and his power and cut a path right through the sea for his people to walk on dry ground to safety, right there in their deepest trouble and worry. The character of God for his children is like that of a faithful father or a loving shepherd. And I love the imagery of this in verse 20. You led your people like a flock, like a shepherd, leading your people to still still waters, to green pastures, to places of peace. Leading them by the hand of Moses and Aaron, his appointed leaders for them. And this is the reflection on the character of God that the psalmist says that's what God has done. That's his track record. Our past reflections on the character of God should take us to places like the Red Sea. Like we, should, we should remember this because this is our story as God's people as well. But our story should go as well, more greatly, to the hill of Calvary. Where Jesus, at the moment, again, of our greatest anxiety, trapped by death, looking down at Satan coming upon us to destroy God's Holy One, there Jesus took our anxieties upon himself. He went to the cross on our behalf. He suffered and died in our place. And he, as a good shepherd, laid down his life for the sheep. He came and stood as a substitute for you and for me, showing his mighty power against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And he endured the anxiety of the soul in the greatest degree for you and for me. It's Jesus' grace that leads us by the hand to the place of perfect peace and rest. Whereas the psalmist says we had Moses, we had Aaron leading us by the hand, we have a greater Moses, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We have a greater Aaron, who's the priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who comes and takes us by the hand in our greatest anxiety, in our weakest moments, So you and I, if we're going to appeal to the character of God, we appeal to the cross in our anxiety. We get our eyes on the greatest work of God to rescue us and to secure our future. Friend, if you're anxious about anything in this life, if you're anxious about your future, anxious about your relationships, if you're anxious about your well-being, 
If you're anxious about anything, appeal to the cross. Look back to it and say, this is the thing I will stand on. This is the evidence of God's love and his faithfulness and his care for me. And let that appeal, let that historic track record of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for you and for your anxiety, let that be the place your heart is stilled knowing his love is for you. You can say, I know God is for me, that he is full of love and compassion towards me, and he has nothing but my ultimate good at heart because Jesus came and lived and died for me. The evidence is there at the cross. Let that appeal be what steadies and settles your anxious heart. Acknowledge your anxiety. Acknowledge it and remember it. And ask yourself, who is God and what is he like? And come back to the appeal of God is for us in Christ Jesus. Run to him. Put your eyes on him and see his great love for you. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for your love for us in Christ. Your track record is impeccable in its, in its work for us. You're not repulsed by our worries and concerns and our dark nights of the soul. Lord, you, you love us and you have given Christ for us. So may we draw near to you in faith. May we remember who you are. May we see your goodness and remember your steadfast love for us in Christ who came and lived and died and was raised to life again. Lord, may we cast our cares upon you because you care for us and may we know your perfect peace. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.